You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. My name is Dallas Wilson. I'm the discipleship pastor uh, from the Millen campus. Uh, what I want you to do is if you have a Bible this morning, I want to go ahead and, and invite you to open with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. While you're doing that, I just kind of want to give you a little update about everything that's been going on in Millen. So God is being really faithful. Me and my wife, Jenna, and Jeremy and his wife, Sabrina, have had such an opportunity to see the faithfulness of God over the past couple weeks. And so what I want to do is I just want to thank you guys for a large part of that because you guys have been so faithful to pray and so faithful to come and, and help and serve. And so I just want to tell you guys this morning, thank you, thank you, thank you for your hard work that you've been doing. Uh, but I do want to give you an update. So, so far, we've had five people get saved in the first three weeks. Yeah, that's awesome. And last week, we had 226 people, which is crazy. I really want to encourage you to keep praying for us, if you will. I told the 9 a.m. this morning uh, in July, our service is going to grow, our, our church is going to grow by two. So I'm having my, I'm not having one. I'd be rich if I was. My wife is having a baby in July, and Jeremy and his wife is also having a baby in July. So me and Jeremy, we just do everything together. We plant churches and then have babies at the same time. So seriously, though, if you would, just keep, your, keep us in your prayers. Keep, uh, continue to be faithful to do that. And if anybody's looking for somewhere to preach in July, we're going to need a lot of help. So keep that in mind. But uh, so what I want to do this morning before we even uh, go into the Word, I want to take a time and let's just, I want to invite us into a time of worship this morning. So often what we do is we come into church service and before we even approach God's Word or before we even go into the sermon, we just have this attitude, uh, we take for granted who we're meeting with. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for us before we even get started this morning. And I just want to encourage you, like realize who we're about to deal with. Realize who we're about to talk with. And so just let it leave all the worries behind. Doesn't matter what you had coming in this morning. Leave everything else behind. And let's just focus on God right now, okay? So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started, all right? Father in heaven, I just pray Psalm 135 this morning, God. You are in the heavens, and you do whatever you please, God. God, I really believe that you, you're, you're that big, God. Whatever you want is what you do, Father God. So I pray that it would please you this morning, Father God, to, to save somebody in here today. Father God, I pray that it would please you this morning to work in your people's lives, Father God. Lord, we don't approach you as a small God. We approach you as a big God. You are the God who gives life and breath to us, and we don't take that for granted, and we don't take for granted the reading of your word this morning and the opportunity we have to come into your house. So I just, I thank you so much for who you are, God, and I pray that you would meet with us now. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 
All right, church. So if you've been coming, you'll know that we're in week five of our uh, sermon series, Behind Enemy Lines. And each week, what we've been doing is we've been taking a lie that the devil told to the church in Thessalonica, and we've been looking at that lie and then combating it with the truth, right? So if, you, if, you hear, if you've been here, you know we've been walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and each step along the way, we've seen how the devil was working at the church in Thessalonica, and we see how Paul was correcting what the devil was trying to do, okay? And so today I'm excited because we're finally going to get to the point in this book where we see why Paul wrote back to the church in Thessalonica. So we're going to see Paul's main objective in writing back to the church in Thessalonica. And what Paul's writing back for is that Paul writes back because he knows that following Jesus is hard. Right? And so he's writing back to the church in Thessalonica who's under persecution, who's suffering, and who he, quite frankly, he's scared that they're going to give up. And so we're going to see that today because the lie that we're looking at today as we, as we walk through this text is that following Jesus is comfortable. Right? And if we're honest, we've all kind of bought into this false narrative of following Jesus. When at some point, when we get saved, we, we come to, we come to a, like a, a false conclusion that following Jesus is about me. Like I surrendered my life to Jesus, now God's working for me, right? He's supposed to make me happy. He's supposed to make me comfortable. He's supposed to do what I need and give me my heart's desires, my greatest dreams. A lot, a lot of people, that's how we approach God, right? He's the dream granter. All right? So we think, Following Jesus is for our comfort. But Paul's going to show us here today that following Jesus was never supposed to be comfortable, and Jesus never told us it would be, right? So that, that's where we're looking at today, all right? That's where we're going. And what I want you to understand, and what I want you to take away from this message, is that your salvation is not primarily about you. I want you to think about it. Your salvation is not primarily about you, but it's about God and the work that he does in you. Okay? So I want you to think about it. So following Jesus is not comfortable. So before we even get started, what I want to do is I want to give you a working definition of what it means to follow Jesus. So if you're a note taker, if you've got a little announcement card, I would encourage you to, to jot this down. I think it's a pretty good definition because it comes from the Bible. And the definition is this. I define following Jesus like this. Living for the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel. So write that down. To follow Jesus means that you live for the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel. Write that down this morning. And that comes straight out of the Bible. That comes straight out of Acts 20, uh, verse 24. Paul says, I count my life of no value at all, nor is precious to myself, if only I can finish the ministry that God gave me. All right? So what Paul's saying there is my life's not about me. I'm not living to make people know Paul. I'm living to make people know Jesus. So to live for the glory of God. And then Paul says to... Um, to finish the ministry that he's been given, which is to take the gospel to people, right? So that's what it means to, to follow Jesus. It means to live for the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel. So here's what I want to do. I know we got a lot of uh, type A people out there and you're, you're note takers, so I want you to know exactly where I'm going. So you get your little bubbles ready and I'm going to tell you my, my sermon outline, okay? My sermon outline is this. I want you to be looking for it in the scripture when we read. First, I want you to see that following Jesus is uncomfortable because we have a real enemy, all right? So I, as we start this morning, I want you to see that following Jesus is uncomfortable because we have a real enemy. Second, I want you to see that following Jesus is uncomfortable because it means we have to die to ourselves. 
And then lastly, I want you to see following Jesus hard because we were destined to suffer for and with Christ. So write those three things down. That's where I'm going. First, following Jesus is uncomfortable because we have a real enemy. Second, following Jesus is uncomfortable because it means that we have to die to ourselves. And third, following Jesus is hard because we were destined to suffer for and with Christ. So that's where we're going. So with that, let's look at the text. I ask you to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 17 and read through chapter 3. So you guys follow along with me. If you don't have your Bible, I think it's going to be on the screen. It says this. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. So Paul's saying, since we had to leave in such a hurry, you need to go back and read how he left in Acts, how he left Thessalonica. Since we left in such a hurry, I want to see you guys again because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us for what is our hope, our, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming, is it not you? For you are glory and joy. Chapter three, verse one. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you now know. For this reason, verse 5, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that, before, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So that's our text this morning. So what I'm going to do is I just want to dive right in and I want you to see where I'm coming from, all right? So first of all, we're going to see that following Jesus is uncomfortable because we have a real enemy. Let's look at verse 18. It says, it says I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul's talking about how he wants to come to Thessalonica and see these people and encourage them. But what does he say? Satan hindered us. Then look at verse 5. It says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent you to learn about your, I sent to you to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So what I want, the first thing I want you to see this morning is that as believers in Christ, we have a very real, very alive, very powerful enemy. That's how Paul talks about Satan here. He's not talking about a mythological creature. He's not talking about some fairy tale. He's not talking about some myth. When Paul's talking about Satan, he's talking about a real person. I want you to see this morning that we have a real enemy in Satan. And I want, I want you to rest assured that his aim is your destruction. I want you to rest assured that his goal is your damnation. You have a real enemy. Look at what Paul says he does. He hinders the spread of the gospel. 
Paul wanted to go back to Thessalonica. Paul wanted to go check on these people, but Satan stopped it. He was an enemy. And then he also, in verse five, he was tempting the believers in Thessalonica to quit. Just, just give up. All this pain you're experiencing, it's not worth it. Call it quits. We have a real enemy. He is real and has real power. Look at what the, what the scripture say about him. First Peter uh, chapter five, verse eight says this, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Bible says that he's a lion, that he's, he's looking for somebody to eat. He's trying to find somebody. Let me, I, let me tell you what's, what's really killing us as Christians today. Our disbelief in the supernatural is killing us. Because we have an enemy that we can't see. We have an enemy that's there, that's always around us, that's always aiming for our damnation, and we can't see him. And we live in an age where if we can't see it, we don't believe it. And like, don't hear me hating on science. Like We're a very scientific culture. We like to put our hands on something. We like to, we like to feel it and say, this is real. But as Christians, we have to be willing to admit that just because we can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. We have a real enemy. The problem is we treat Satan all too often like he's a harmless lion. All right, follow me with this. Whoever's seen, it, may, it reminds me of a story of, uh, on I Survived. Who's ever seen I Survived? Show of hands. Whoever's seen I Survived? All right, man, y'all are just as bad as the first group. Listen, if you've never seen I Survived, go home, close all your blinds, get on Netflix and Google it, or Netflix it, search it, find it. Because it's, it, all it is is stories of people who got like eaten by bears and stuff and survived. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. Go, go watch it, all right? But it reminds me of one of these sto stories of I Survived where this lady, she was a supermodel, right? And she was uh, in some kind of advertisement for some shampoo. It was probably Old Spice, one of those ridiculous Old Spice commercials, all right? So she was probably Old Spice, and she's posing with this lion. Like, it's a lion, and she's laid on it, all right? And she's just like petting the lion. Well, all of a sudden, this lion comes up. All right, and it comes after her and it, it eats her, it mauls her. Like I ain't talking like it just has a little snack. It, it's chewing on her like she's a T-bone, all right? And as, he, as, as this happens, they finally get it broke up and, and they come to the lion tamer and they're like, man, what's going on? He's like, I don't understand this because I've had that lion my whole life. First of all, that lion's had you its whole life, all right? Uh, second of all, a lion's an apex predator. Let me tell you what that means. When it's not eating, it's thinking about eating. You tracking with me? And then they were surprised that this lion turned around and ate the woman. The world's in a bad place, guys. <laughs> but as I was thinking about that, that, isn't that how we treat Satan? Like he's a roaring lion, but we're like, oh, he's at best, a, he's, at best he's a myth. At, at, at worst, he, he's not somebody who's really going to hurt us. He's just like that bad angel that's up on our shoulder all the time uh, trying to tempt us. Like, guys, the devil is a roaring lion. And like, I'm not saying I'm above this. I'll tell you a story uh, that happened to me at the turn of this year, before, long before I ever knew I, I was going to preach on this. Uh, does anybody remember what was going on December 31st of this year? It was New Year's Eve. For guys, you should know this. Football playoffs, all right? If you didn't know that, your man card's been revoked. We'll talk about it later. So the college football playoffs are going on. And for some reason, I'm like, my wife was in a great mood. And I'm saying that very sarcastically. She was pregnant and she was mad at me. I don't know why. 
But either, either, either way, we got into an argument and she went to bed mad and I stayed up and tried to watch Alabama murder Michigan State, all right? So I, the next morning I get up, she's still mad at me. I go into my, uh, my office and I'm, I'm having my quiet time. Lord, I'm like, God, what's going on? Why, why, is this, why is my wife mad at me? Why, am, why do I feel under attack? And he said, Dallas, it's because you are under attack. I was in the midst of spiritual warfare and didn't even stop to realize that my house was under attack. I had to go back and apologize to my wife and say, baby, it's not you and it's not me. I really felt like we're under spiritual attack right now. Like, guys, what I'm trying to tell you is that we're always under attack. And if you're like me, you don't even stop to realize that Satan's out for your destruction. So practically, this means we need to get in the fight. We need to be willing to live in a state of battle every day. We need to be willing to go to God's word. We need to be willing to live in a state of prayer and fight off the one enemy that's coming for us over and over and over again. Are you willing to live in the fight of your life? Because you have to. What I want you to understand is Satan makes following Jesus hard because he's a real enemy, but it is ultimately so much more valuable to follow Christ. Here, here, understand this. In the end, yes, Satan makes following Jesus hard, but in the end, following Jesus is worth it because there's gonna come a day when the lover of our soul, Jesus Christ, will say, takes the enemy of our soul, Satan, and cast him, to, him into a pit called hell, and then all of us believers can say with one accord together, Satan, go to hell. Amen. There's gonna come a day when we no longer have an enemy of our soul. Believe it. So following Jesus is hard because we have a real enemy. Now, the second thing I want you to see, and I'm going to spend a lot of time here, is that following Jesus is hard because we have to die to ourselves. So check this out. If you don't, and depending on what version of the Bible you have, you might just read over this because it's so obscure in the text. But uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. So your version might say we thought it better to be left behind at Athens alone. The, the gist behind what that passage is actually trying to say, what, what that, the original language is getting at, is that, like, I don't want to be left behind at Athens alone, but I will be left behind Athens alone if I have to. So what we're seeing here is that Paul shows us that when we're following Christ, it's about dying to ourselves, all right? It's not about what we want. It's not about what we desire. It's not about what's easiest for us. It's not about what makes us most comfortable. When we follow Jesus, our wants and desires take a back burner next to the kingdom of God and following Jesus. Y'all okay this morning? Y'all wait. Let's talk. All right, now, um, y'all know how Jeremy is. Jeremy, come off stage if you don't. You gotta start, y'all gonna start talking to me. So what I want you to see is that when we come to Jesus, it's not about following us. It's not about our desires. It's about following Jesus. See, this is odd to us because what era do we live in, guys? We live in the, in the, the self era, all right? It's all about us. It's all about what we want. It's all about our rights. Like, this is our culture. Turn on, turn on Fox News or CNN or whatever outlet you want to watch, and you're going to hear people talking about our rights. We got rights. We got these. What Paul's trying to say is it makes no sense to look at the cross and demand your rights. So what I want you to see this morning is that when Christ calls us, he calls, he calls us to a life of self-denial, total abandonment. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this best. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a German theologian who lived during the Nazi regime and actually died 
because he was fighting against the Nazis, all right? So Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He didn't say when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and do what you want. He didn't say when Christ calls a man, he bids him, hey, fight for your rights. No, he says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But well, I don't want you to just take Dietrich Bonhoeffer's word for it. I want you to take Jesus's word for it. How about Luke 9, 23? And he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me. Or Luke 14, 33. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, you want to follow me? That's great. Give it all up. It don't matter what, if, if Jesus, do I have to give up my comfort to follow you? Yes. Jesus, do I have to give up my sin to follow you? Yes. Jesus, do I have to give up my financial security to follow you? Yes. All of the above. If you want to follow Jesus, what's the criteria? He says that you have to renounce all that he has. Are you willing to give it all up for Christ? Luke 14, 26, Jesus takes it a step further. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, you got to hate your mom and dad. You got to hate your husband and wife. Your brother and sister, you got to hate them. What's he talking about? He's saying, you've got to love me so much that when somebody else looks at your relationship with your wife, you're like, man, Dallas, he might love his wife, but he's, he's crazy about Jesus. He's saying, you got to love Jesus more than anything else in this world. But Paul says it too. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. How about those four words? I die every day. Every day is not about me. It's about Jesus. How about Philippians 3.8? This is Paul and Jesus. This is, not, this is not somebody outside the Bible. This is people from the Bible saying what it means to follow Jesus. Philippians 3.8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He literally says, I count them as garbage that I might know Jesus. Nothing else matters next to Jesus. What I want you to understand this morning, church, is that when we, have, when we come to Christ, we either give him all we have or we give him nothing. You do not negotiate with Jesus. When we come to Jesus, he demands everything or he takes nothing. But my question for you, and this is for believers, if you've been born again, if you're a child of God, if you've known the redeeming grace and perfect love of Jesus, how can this be any other way? So what I'm trying to ask you is if you have seen and met Jesus, this should be how you live naturally. Follow what I'm saying. And when I, when I look at Jesus, and I, I've been praying this a lot lately, it's been crazy. But when I thank Jesus and I start talking to him, I start realizing who I am. God, I'm a sinner. I, I'm not perfect. I sin. Like I mess up a lot, God. But you, you died for me. You came to the earth and, and you died on the cross and poured out your blood to cover my sin. When you realize that, you ought to live this way. It's natural. I, see, I, I, this, is what, this is another way of saying that. I would write this down if you're a note taker. Justification fuels abandon, abandonment. Justification fuels abandonment. Or forgiveness drives radicalness. 
So when you understand that you've been forgiven, justified, just forgiven of every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, and future, when you understand that, it fuels fuels abandonment. You no longer want to live for yourself. You want to live for the glory of Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. Justification fuels abandonment. I feel like I feel like you probably need an illustration when we're talking about this. So I, want, I, want, I was looking, thinking through the Bible and I came across Isaiah 6. Guys, Isaiah 6, if you've never read it, go home and read it. It will wreck your world, all right? It will literally turn everything upside down. But who knows the story of Isaiah 6? Anybody know that story? Raise your hand. Nobody? Go home and read it. You should, you should read your Bibles more, all right? So uh, Isaiah 6. So Isaiah is a prophet. Tell you this, Isaiah is a prophet. And he's been profiting for like at least five chapters before we get to chapter six, right? Like he's been in this business a long time. But one day he catches a vision of God in the temple. And his response, man, it's classic. So he sees God and God's high and lifted up on his throne. And there are these angel-like things going back and forth. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as, as they're saying that, the thresholds of the temple are shaking. And Isaiah's looking at all this and the temple's filled with smoke. And he sees God and his response is, woe is me, I'm dead. Like he literally says, I am nothing. I am psychologically, mentally, physically, I'm undone. I deserve to die because my eyes have seen God and I'm a sinful man. That's what he says. Go read it, man. It's awesome. All right. But then get this. This is the best part of the whole story. This is what happens. One of those angel things goes and gets a coal from the altar. All right. Now this altar is where they used to offer sacrifices. So what would happen is they would offer a sacrifice, burn it up, and the blood would just be dripping down on these coals, all right? So the coals would be just drenched in blood. And one of these angels, he goes and gets a coal, and he takes it to Isaiah, and he touches his lips with it. And he says, your sin is atoned for. What I want you to see is that the blood of the sacrifice atoned for all of Isaiah's sins. Like, are you getting that? The blood that was offered on that altar made him clean, it made him pure. Like when you've experienced that, guys, when you've experienced you're a sinner, but this blood, it, it makes you clean. It makes you pure. You'll do anything. So that's what Isaiah does. God's next words, he says, all right, we've done that. Who, who, who's going to go for us? Who, who am I going to send to be my man in the world? You know what Isaiah's response is? It's literally like he freaks out and says, here I am, God. I'll do whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Like God didn't even tell him what he was going to do. He said, here I, he said, who's going to go for me? And I was like, I am, I'm going, send me. God was like, I hadn't even said what I'm going to do yet. It doesn't matter. Just send me, whatever. And then God tells him, well, you're going to go preach and nobody's going to go listen. Nobody's going to listen. You're going to have the worst ministry on the face of the earth and you're going to preach and people are going to beat you up and nobody's going to listen to you. And Isaiah's like, awesome. This is great. But why? It's not because he's about to have so much fun. It's because he's seen Jesus. And once you've seen Jesus, nothing else matters. Justification fuels abandonment. So what what I'm asking you guys is if you're here this morning and you've never in your heart, like you know this to be true or false, you've never seen Jesus. You've never said, God, I don't care. I'll do whatever. I I know that you're better than anything else this world has, has to offer. If that's you, 
and you've never had that moment, you don't want to follow Christ because you have never actually seen Christ. But this morning, I can guarantee you Christ is waiting to reveal himself to you and probably at this moment, drawing you closer to himself for the moment of salvation. So with all this talk of dying to self, I don't want it to seem like I'm asking you to give up a greater pleasure in living for yourself for a lesser pleasure, all right? So when I'm asking you, some of you are like, man, die to yourself, die to what I want to do, Dallas. That ain't for me, right? I, I, I like living for myself. That's for old people, right? We're going to do that when I get older. I, I got plenty of time. Some of you are like, that's giving up a greater pleasure for a lesser pleasure. But what I want you to understand is that when I'm asking you to die to yourself and live for Jesus, I'm not asking you to give up a greater pleasure for a lesser pleasure. I'm asking you to give up a greater pleasure in exchange for one that's way lesser. And this greater pleasure never ends and never fades. When I'm when I, asking you to die to yourself, I'm asking you to embrace the joyous love of Jesus and live forever in that satisfaction. So I think, I think another illustration is good here. <clears throat> I want to tell you about a man named William Borden. Anybody like milk? Y'all know what? Y'all ever drank Borden milk? In 1904, William Borden, heir to the Borden family uh, fortune, graduated from a Chicago high school. As heir to the Borden family fortune, he was already wealthy. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave 16-year-old Borden a trip around the world. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Finally, Bill Borden wrote home about his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed disbelief that Bill was throwing himself away to be a missionary. In response, Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves, no reserves. Even though Borden was wealthy, he arrived on campus of Yale University in 1905 trying to look like one more freshman. Very quickly, however, Borden's classmate noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't that he had lots of money. One of them wrote, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart and full surrender to Christ and had really done it. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was solid as a rock. During his college years, Bill Borden made an entry in his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. That entry simply said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During his first semester at Yale, Borden started something that would transform campus life, a small prayer group. Borden's small morning group gave birth to a movement that soon spread across the campus. By the end of the first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. By the time Bill Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. In his Bible, he wrote two more words, no retreats. William Borden went on to do graduate work at Princeton. And when he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China because he was hoping to work with Muslims. He stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When the news of William Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself, in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. Was Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in God's perspective. Prior to his death, Borden wrote two more words in his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written, no regrets. What I'm telling you is that when you come to Christ, 
You are not coming to an apathetic, nominal Christianity that invites you to sit on a church pew and accumulate wealth for yourself and accumulate comfort for yourself and accumulate whatever your heart desires. What I'm telling you is that when you come to Christ, you are coming to a lifestyle of no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. What is Jesus calling you to do this morning? Let's turn this practically. What is Jesus pointing out in your life right now that he's calling you to die to? For some of you, there's a sin in your life that you've been holding on to for a long time. This is your, it's, it's your pet or there's a sin that God's revealed and like you don't want to die to it. Or at least you might be dead to it, but you don't want to confess it. And I know how that feels. In your guts, you are literally dying because there's a sin that God's called you to confess either to him or to somebody and you won't give it up. Die to yourself and follow Jesus. Some of you are security. Some of you got $100,000 in the bank and everything's great and man, you feel financially secure while there are people starving around you, much less on the other side of the world and you're like, I'm good. I'm gonna put my earplugs in and I'm gonna cut out the rest of the world. Die to yourself. For some of you, it's yourself. Like, it's your fame. It's what matters most to you, your desires. This is me, guys. I was going to do a lot of things in this life. Being a preacher wasn't one of them. I had to die to self. Some of you just need to die to your comfort. You always want the next best thing, the next biggest house, the next best car, the most expensive clothes. Like, God has given us grace upon grace to enjoy gifts, but when we lavish upon ourselves when there are others around the world hurting and dying, shame on us. Let me ask you this. What could Christ do with your life with a blank check? College student? Young adult? Middle-aged person? Senior citizen? If you took your life and offered it to God as a blank check and said, wherever, whenever, however, God, I'm yours. If you did that, what could he do? I think we'd have a church that is absolutely unstoppable. So practically, for some of you guys, it would mean opening your mouth at work to tell other people about Jesus instead of sitting there in silence day after day. For some of you, it would mean leading a connect group. Step up, lead. Follow Christ, disciple somebody, pour into somebody. For some of you, it would mean going to church plants. Listen, I got news for you. We just planted in Millen, and we ain't nowhere near stopping anytime soon. Connection Church is going to get the gospel to people where there's not the gospel. So for some of you, it might mean leaving Statesboro and going with these church plants. I'm going to move my job. I'm going to move my family. I'm going to go with these people to plant a church because God wants the people there to have the gospel. Let me tell you something. God still calls people to do crazy things like that every day. We just don't listen that well. Or for some of you, it might be going to the nations. Let me assure you that there are two billion people right now around the world who have never heard the name of Christ and have no eternal hope at all. And you mean to tell me that out of the thousand people in this room right now, God is not calling someone to go. For me, this is just practically meant that every day I have to ask, Jesus, what do you want me to do today?
And I wrote, I wrote, I have some words on my refrigerator. I actually, I wrote them in dry erase marker, but evidently you can't write on a refrigerator with dry erase marker because it doesn't erase. Uh, so my wife was really gracious with me. I was, she's like, is that gonna come off? I'm probably not, you know, it's probably there. So, uh, I, but I wrote these words. Do not miss the point. Because here's what I'm positive about, church. It is so, so simple for us to wake up day after day and be focused on us all the while we miss the point of what Jesus Christ has really called us to do and how he has really called us to live. I don't want to miss the church when 80% of the world around me is unchurched and probably has no relationship with Christ whatsoever. I don't want to miss the point when I have family and friends who are without Christ and on their way to an eternity separated with, from him, with him in hell. I don't want to miss the point. Listen, we cannot miss the point when every 3.6 seconds, one, two, three, four, a child around the world dies of starvation. I refuse for me to miss the point when 1.2 billion people on this planet live on less than 23 cents a day, all the while I'm lavishing in comfort and, and, and luxury. I refuse to miss the point, church, when there are 2 billion people on the planet who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Amen. How can we miss the point? We can't afford to. So let me ask you this. Is following Jesus for you comfortable? Because if it is, you are not doing it right. Is following Jesus for you comfortable? Because if it is, you're not doing it right. Lastly, I want us to look at this. Following Jesus is hard because we are destined to suffer for and with Christ. Look at verse three, chapter three. He says, I wrote this that no one be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. I read that and I was like, God, I can't preach that. I'm gonna tell these people they're destined to suffer. And then I opened my eyes and actually read, I actually read through scripture. Guys, let me assure you something of something. It's not a matter of if you're gonna suffer, it's a matter of when you're gonna suffer for following Christ. Romans 8, 17 says, and if we are children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, we will suffer if we follow Christ. So, but I want you to know it's not pointless. So I wanna give you at least two reasons Two reasons I've got that we suffer. Number one, we suffer because we follow Jesus and the world has always hated Jesus. Look at Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all because of my name, for it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. That's Jesus. You will be hated because of me. They hate you not because of you, but because of me. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. It hated me first. That's what Jesus is saying. No wonder they don't like you. They didn't like Jesus. Are you really surprised when you suffer for Christ when they didn't like Christ? How about that? Uh, also this. We suffer because God uses our deepest pain to reveal his greatest glory. So what I, I want to challenge you with this. If you've never really been through a whole lot in your life, Find somebody who's suffered a great deal. Find somebody who's lost a child, suffered a, a terminal cancer, 
So find somebody who's really suffered, and this is what I can promise you they'll tell you. In the deepest, darkest night of their soul, they saw the glory and grace of Jesus the most. This is why, this is why when we're suffering, it's not a bad thing. Let me tell you something, guys. When you're suffering, it's not God punishing you. If you are a born-again child of God, God is not punishing you in suffering. He's working through for his glory and your good. Romans 8, he says, all things work to the good of those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose. It's not to punish you. This is why you don't wish suffering away. This is me and my wife were having a conversation when the jackpot of that Powerball was 1.5 billion, right? Who, who bought a ticket? All y'all bunch of lies. Y'all know y'all all bought a ticket. 1.5 billion? Come on, man. And that, so I was telling my wife, I was like, hey, 1.5? Jenna, we can do a lot with 1.5. And she was like, Dallas, I don't, I don't really want to win 1.5. I was like, get out. She said, no, I'm serious. She said, I feel like if we were to win $1.5 billion, we would just use it to alleviate our suffering. We wouldn't want to suffer anymore. And she said, I don't want to do that because I know when I'm suffering, it's God working in my life that I can know him more. So I don't want to wish that suffering away. So I, had to, I, I realized, for number one, that she was right. And number two, that I just got schooled by my wife. Don't wish it away, guys. As hard as it is, in those moments when you're suffering, embrace it. This is why I hate the prosperity gospel. I hate the prosperity gospel because it doesn't work. Let me tell you something. The promise is not if you come to Jesus, you're gonna get rich or everything's gonna go great or your child's not gonna get killed. The prosperity gospel doesn't work. It doesn't work for people like Linda Baggett. Linda Baggett lost her daughter on the wreck in I-16 where five Georgia Southern nursing students were, were lost. It doesn't work for her. Don't go to her and tell her that if you follow Jesus, it's all going to be all right. It doesn't, the prosperity gospel doesn't work for people who are in Iraq right now being persecuted by ISIS. Don't go to them and tell them if you follow Jesus, it's all going to be good because they're probably going to die. Don't go to the person just diagnosed with cancer and say, don't worry, yeah, everything's going to be fine, you're in good shape. The prosperity gospel doesn't work. Go to that person and say, listen, I don't cry with them. Say, I don't know why we're suffering. I don't know why we're going through this. I don't know why it hurts so bad, but this is what I know. God is working through this for your good and his glory. The promise of the gospel is not that everything goes good. It's that Jesus is there no matter what goes on. Matt Chandler said this. Matt Chandler had brain cancer when he said this. It was a kind that was inoperable. He was pretty, he was guaranteed to die. He's, this has been five years ago. He's still preaching right now. And this is what he says. The good news of the gospel is not that if you follow Jesus, everything goes, goes well for you. It's that no matter what comes, he will be enough. So listen, guys, what I want to help you understand is this. When you have Jesus, everything's not going to go good. It's going to be hard. You have to die to yourself. You have a real enemy. We're going to suffer. But listen, when you have Jesus, you have hope that never fades. And you have love that never ends. And you have joy that will never stop. And when you have those three things, you can face anything. It doesn't matter what comes your way. So my question this morning for that is, are you willing to suffer to know Christ? Are you willing to go through the hard times to suffer and know Christ? 
So as we close, listen, I know that this has been a hard message. I know this has been hard, but what I want you to see is that if you have found Christ, you have found a greater treasure than anything else this world could possibly offer. If you have come to God, you have found a father who loves you more than you can possibly imagine, and it was more satisfying than anything you could ever fathom. So with that, I just want to give us an opportunity to respond this morning. I feel like there are people here this morning, I know this to be true, there's somebody here who God has been dealing with you all week, because I've been praying for you all week. God's been dealing with you, and in your heart, you know that he's calling you right now to actually follow him and not just play games, but to give your life to him and say, Jesus, you've forgiven me, you've justified me, I'll do whatever. I know there are some here this morning who are in that boat, and today's the day of salvation for you. And if, if you feel God drawing you to himself this morning, I just wanna ask, will you just be bold enough to raise your hand? If you feel like today that God is calling you to salvation, I wanna just ask you to raise your hand and say, I, I, I want Jesus more than anything. else? Anybody else? All right, well, here, here's my next prayer. I want to invite you to pray what I've been praying for myself because let me, if God has shown me one thing in this life, it's that I don't want to be a nominal, cultural, comfortable Christian. I just don't want to be like everybody else. If this is true, and I've got maybe 80 years at most to pour out my heart for Christ and to live for him, I don't want to be just like everybody else. I want to, work, I want to risk being uncomfortable. So here, if you're here this morning, I've been praying this prayer, God, will you wreck my comfortable Christianity? And if that's you, and uh, you, you're just ready, like I'm, not, I'm, I'm ready to be uncomfortable, I'm ready to be a radical, if that's you, I, I'm ready to make disciples. Would you just be so bold as to stand? I mean, if, if that's your heart. And don't stand if you're not, if you're like, oh, everybody else is standing, so I don't want to stand. Because I promise you, this is not something you want to do just because everybody else is doing. Right? This is hard, brutal work. But if you're standing this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to look around. And I want you to see the body of Christ rising up to take back the kingdom, to fight the kingdom of darkness. Guys, I don't want to be comfortable. And for those of you who are standing, I just want to pray that we would live our lives in a reckless way to make Jesus known. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us. This altar is open, guys. If you need to come spend some time with God, please come do that. I want to close us in prayer, and we're going to have a time of worship. And I just invite you to, to worship your king. Let's pray.